Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson. You can join Stephen and me and the entire Detroit Today team and other WDET listeners for the Smart Politics Constitutional Convention and Happy Hour coming up on Wednesday. That's this Wednesday, August 25th from 6 to 8 p.m. We're going to be gathering outside under the tent at Otis Supply in Ferndale. Space is limited, so make sure you get all the details and register today at WDET.org slash events. I am so excited to be able to to see listeners of the show and listeners of the station in person. This will be the first time since the pandemic started that I will be able to do this, to be able to attend an event with listeners and uh, with with others. Uh, and I'm just really excited to talk politics, to talk about the Constitution and the news and everything with you again this Wednesday from 6 to 8 at Otis Supply in Ferndale. Again, you can find more details there at WDET.org slash events. Well, here we are, another pandemic summer. Thinking back to this time last year, so many festivals canceled, restaurants trying their best to build makeshift patios, and COVID was ravaging communities all over the country, including and especially here in Detroit. I think we all hoped, maybe even expected, that this summer would be different. And in many ways, it actually is. I mean, the sweeping mandates are gone and businesses are just about all open for people who want to frequent them. And yet, even with the coronavirus vaccine being made available to all Americans, so many still have not received their jabs. We'll talk with a psychologist later in the hour about the various reasons behind that. But for those who have been vaccinated, the risk of contracting COVID has not been eliminated completely. If you, your community, the people around you are anything like the people around me, you're likely beginning to hear about breakthrough cases. The highly contagious Delta variant is now the predominant variant here in Michigan, and it's likely to be a big factor in these breakthrough cases. And although in most instances, breakthrough cases are milder than those for the for those who have not been vaccinated, It's still a startling wake-up call that this pandemic is still very much with us. This is not behind us. Not yet, anyway. That's where I want to begin the show. And I'm joined by two Detroit physicians who are here to talk about what they are seeing and hearing in this moment. Dr. Frank McGeorge is an emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System. He's also the good health medical expert for WDIV Local 4. Dr. McGeorge, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Good morning. And Dr. Leslie Raveau is a family physician at Plum Health Direct Primary Care in Corktown. Dr. Raveau, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. So again, you guys are both on the front lines of this. You're seeing patients uh, that are uh, coming to you. Dr. McGeorge, you're in the emergency room. I want to start with you. You spend a lot of time in the emergency room at Henry Ford Hospital. Can you start us off by just briefly describing what you're seeing and experiencing right now in in the ER and how that compares to recent months before we started hearing about this new increase in cases. Well, sure. You know, over the uh, winter, we had a significant increase and we expected that because obviously everywhere in the country was seeing it. Um, During the early part of the spring, April, May, um, we had an unusual surge in the state of Michigan. I mean, something that we've actually 
been trying to figure out. That is why Michigan and parts of the Northeast were asynchronous with the rest of the country in terms of its surge rates. Um, we had our surge in April, May, and then we calmed down. And we had a, a basically a bit of a lull in the end of spring and um, into the early summer. And then we began to see cases pick up around the country. And now we're beginning to see cases increase here again in Michigan. Um, you know, statewide, if you look at the numbers, the number of people presenting to emergency departments with COVID-like illnesses is gradually beginning to increase after essentially a low over the uh, early parts of the summer. And so we're, we're reflecting that in our volumes. Um, the other thing to note, though, is the emergency department is also very busy in general. You know, the, the thing that's very different in in terms of hospital function over the last year, let's say, rather than the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, so we're talking a year and eight months ago, um, in the last year, we've really resumed a lot of normal operations. So now we're not only dealing with COVID, but we are dealing with other emergencies and other um, illnesses that would normally have presented, which is a good thing. But the point is, we are busier than ever. And, and how much do you attribute the rise in COVID cases here to the Delta variant? I mean, I know uh, this is something that I'm, researchers and epidemiologists are trying to wrap their minds and their uh, understanding around right now. But, uh, Dr. McGeorge, do you, do you sense that that's a ma- playing a major factor here? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, we used to talk about COVID on the news. Now, really, all we talk about specifically is Delta. And there's <laughs> right. a reason for that. Um, Delta is fundamentally a new breed of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID. Um, and we've seen an increase in the number of positive tests, the percent of tests that are being done that are positive. But unfortunately, we can't know for sure how many or what percent are Delta specifically without genetic sequencing. What we do know, and this is, I think, equally or highly predictive, is that Um, Of the samples sequenced by the state in the last four weeks, in the last month, 99% are Delta. So just playing Mm -hmm. the odds, it's a very strong bet that everything that we are seeing or 99% of what we are seeing now is Delta, where it used to be, that is back in spring, largely Alpha variant. Um, So Delta is, is most likely driving all of our surge right now. Uh, Dr. Rabot, I want to ask you what you're seeing as a primary care physician uh, and a family physician in Corktown here. Um, are you noticing a significant difference? Uh, obviously, Dr. McGeorge and other ER physicians are probably seeing people who are having uh, the most severe cases, but what are you seeing in your practice right now? Um, we're seeing kind of similarly, I think, a lot more just uh, URI cases. Um, and so, and explain, um, explain what you are at or what that means. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, respiratory tract infections. We're seeing a lot more of those um, recently. And it was interesting last year during COVID because it seemed like um, anyone who was having, you know, cough, cold symptoms that ended up being uh, secondary to COVID. And it seems like a lot of the other uh, viral infections kind of were at bay. But um, currently we're seeing a resurgence of not only the COVID cases, but also the other viral infections. And so um, whenever we have patients who are calling with concerns for, you know, runny nose, sore throat, cough, we are testing them for COVID. Um, And we have had several um, breakthrough cases in um, young patients, you know, young, otherwise healthy, 20-year-old active persons um, who were fully vaccinated, you know, getting getting, um, most likely the Delta variant at things like weddings and large gatherings and get-togethers. Um, so uh, we have been seeing that in our clinic. 
It's so interesting. You're both saying essentially the same thing that, you know, this isn't just about the rise in COVID cases. Um, I I know that when we were talking about how we hadn't seen as much flu, as we we haven't seen as much other respiratory illnesses and other things, um, it seemed like a lot of people were talking about that being sort of a, um, I don't know if unintended consequence is the right way to put it, but a a, uh, sort of a function of the social distancing, the mask wearing, the uh, strong uh, sort of uh, mandates that were coming down from the state as well, uh, that, that that was affecting not just COVID, but it was affecting all kinds of things. And now, uh, without those mandates, without um, some of the same cautionary approaches that people have been taking, uh, you know, the, this the, there's this concern again, it sounds like, about doctors and our healthcare system being overwhelmed. Is that is that something that you're concerned about, Dr. Rabot, that uh, we might start seeing uh, that concern rising again, not just from COVID, but from everything that, you know, the system that we have in place isn't designed to uh, to handle something like this? Uh, you know, definitely. Um, I especially worry about, you know, my ER colleagues. I do have, my husband is actually an ER physician, and he's mm. been you know, telling me um, about how, you know, the emergency rooms have been overloaded and um, just, uh, you know, not being able to kind of see everyone in the timely manner that everyone needs to be seen in the ER. And it's it's a combination of not only COVID, but kind of everything else at the same time. And I think last year, a lot of people who were fitting into the everything else category were just avoiding going to the ER, um, you know, because of the fear of COVID. And I think that Right now, a lot of that fear kind of um, seems to have subsided, and so uh, we're seeing kind of everything at once. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Dr. Leslie Rabot, a family physician at Plum Health, direct primary care in Corktown, and Dr. Frank McGeorge, an emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System and good health medical expert for WDIV Local 4. And we want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Are you hearing of breakthrough cases in your own life? Are you vaccinated? Have you or a loved one gotten a breakthrough case of the virus? And how are you feeling about the possibility of getting a breakthrough case if you are fully vaccinated? Do you feel less safe right now? Do you feel more or less safe now in the later part of the summer of 2021 than you did maybe even at the start of this year or the start of the spring? Are you planning to get a booster shot when that becomes available? Call us up and tell us how you're feeling right now. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. We'll try to work those comments and questions into the conversation as well. And uh, Dr. McGeorge and Dr. Rabot, before we get to listeners, I want to talk a little bit about these breakthrough cases in those that have been fully vaccinated. Uh, Dr. McGeorge, what are your thoughts on on why this is happening right now? And also some of your concerns about what this means for people who are fully vaccinated, who sort of thought that we'd have a little more time before we had to start worrying about getting boosters or uh, losing that immunity. Sure. Well, you know, I think the most important thing to emphasize, first of all, is that the vaccines are still highly protective, even with respect to breakthrough cases. And specifically, when you look at the data of deaths that occurred this summer, so when a large percentage of the population has been vaccinated, not a majority, but a large percentage has been vaccinated, what we found is that in terms of deaths, 96% of deaths 
occurred in unvaccinated people. And the point to that is if the vaccine had no effect, it would be a 50-50 split. Basically, 50% of vaccinated people or 50% of the deaths would be unvaccinated as well as unvaccinated. So the large skew to unvaccinated people dying, 96% of deaths occur in unvaccinated people, says that the vaccines are doing their job and skewing the death rate if you do develop COVID. Now, that said, there are a number of uh, breakthrough cases that have been documented. In fact, in the state of Michigan, if you look at their data, um, as of um, August 10th, there were 12,000 uh, or just about 12,000 cases that met the criteria of a breakthrough case, which would be a positive test that occurred 14 days after being fully vaccinated. But you've got to understand how the vaccines work. No vaccine is a magical, complete shield of protection. What vaccines do is they give your body a really big head start at battling a new infection. So when you're exposed to a large amount of virus that makes it into your nose, your throat, your lungs, let's say somebody sneezes right in your face with COVID, you essentially do become infected in those areas. But in a vaccinated person, your body already has the tools to fight back and stop the virus from spreading more widely in your, in your body. In an unvaccinated person, it takes a lot of time for your body to respond to that infection. And by the time you do respond, either the virus has spread more widely in your body or the person's immune response becomes so overwhelming that it becomes dangerous and does more damage than the virus would have um, if your body had responded immediately initially. So the vaccine is not this like magic shield. And I guess the point there is we expect a certain amount of breakthrough. What's unfortunate or problematic with Delta is that not only are there breakthrough cases, but unexpectedly, people who develop a breakthrough Delta infection have a higher risk of being able to transmit the virus than we had initially anticipated. Delta is just that much more contagious, and even relatively asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic people that are vaccinated that acquire Delta can still spread virus, which is why the mask question has been brought up again. If vaccinated people who became marginally infected with Delta and were able to essentially beat it off did not spread virus, we would not necessarily worry as much about masking. But because there is a rate of um, spread among vaccinated people, we do worry about it. And that's kind of the bigger picture there. Okay, coming up right on Detroit Today, we are going to pick right up on that point with Dr. Frank McGeorge, emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System. And I'm also talking with Dr. Leslie Rabot, family physician at Plum Health Direct Primary Care. We will continue that conversation in just a bit and take your calls and comments here on Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. We're talking about the pandemic and the direction it's going. And spoiler alert, it's the wrong direction right now. We're talking about 
breakthrough cases that we're starting to hear more and more about, and also the hesitancy to get the vaccine still among so many people, uh, both hesitancy and all-out resistance in some cases. And we are going to talk a lot more about that uh, throughout the rest of the hour. We also want to hear from you. Are you hearing about breakthrough cases from people that you know in your life? Are you vaccinated? And have you or a loved one gotten a breakthrough case of the virus? How are you feeling right now about the possibility of getting one? And does it make you feel less safe? Are you planning to get a booster when it becomes available? That's another topic that we've been hearing a lot about is that third shot for people who got the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccines. Uh, Is that something that you will jump out and get as soon as it's available to you? Or are you not so sure? Uh, Call us up. The number is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we will work you into the conversation that way as well. I'm talking with Dr. Frank McGeorge. He's an emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System, also good health expert, medical expert for WDIV Local 4. And I'm also talking with Dr. Leslie Rabot. She's a family physician at Plum Health Direct Primary Care in Corktown here in Detroit. And doc, uh, Dr. McGeorge, uh, when we left off, you were making a really important point about the sort of the misunderstanding of how the vaccine works. And I think that plays right into this conversation about misinformation as well. And I, I will say, I want to commend you for the work that you've done on WDIV. I've, the, the coverage that I've caught recently has been so valuable, so clear-eyed and so communicative, com- communicative of what's happening uh, in a way that really uh, says it clearly. So I really want to commend you on your great work there. I've seen a lot of anti-vaccine folks respond to stories of unvaccinated people dying of COVID by bringing up these breakthrough cases. In other words, the contention is that it doesn't matter whether you get the vaccine because because vaccinated people have died as well. And recently it's been kind of critical of some of the I think that, the yeah, the the idea is that it's critical of some of the coverage of vaccines uh, from major news organizations. Um, And I I think a lot of uh, work needs to be done in journalism to think more about how even factual information can be cherry picked or disinformation campaigns can use it uh, to spread misinformation. Um, What's your response to people who see a news story about a breakthrough case and now believe that vaccines are not effective or that it's not worth getting? Well, you know, I think it depends on who is reporting it and what they're Uh, and if they have an underlying agenda. Um, I I appreciate your comments about my reporting. I'd like to believe that I do not have an underlying agenda other than telling the truth. Um, And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, demonstrating through the data. And, you know, one of the things that I would emphasize, and again, I'm focusing on Michigan because we're in in Michigan. Um, If you look at the Michigan data for breakthrough cases, there were 247 deaths that were considered breakthrough deaths. But of those, 217, so 217 out of 247 of the deaths were in people over 65 years old. So they were already high-risk people that may have died of a related or another complication or a related complication plus COVID. The point being, um, a lot of these breakthrough cases, you, you have to analyze very specifically. And again, bigger picture spreading out to the United States, the statistic that 96% of deaths have occurred in unvaccinated people is highly telling. So, you know, what I would say to people who might suggest that the vaccines don't do anything is just that they're wrong. 
I mean, I, I don't really have any other <laughs> answer than look at the data. And if you disagree with my data, then explain why my data is wrong. But I try to present fairly accurate data and give my sources. And I say fairly accurate because it does change a little bit from week to week. But, you know, I give my sources and I try and explain why the data is being analyzed the way it is. And, and that's really all I can say is that, you know, I think they're just wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's an interesting idea that the vaccines don't work, but it's not true. That's it. Um, Dr. Rabot, uh, you said that you haven't seen too many breakthrough cases in your own practice, uh, but you have seen a lot of patients who have chosen to remain unvaccinated. I'm curious what they're telling you about the reasons for remaining unvaccinated at this point, especially as cases continue to climb. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to say uh, first, kind of just touching on what uh, you were both just uh, talking about, is uh, one thing to clarify, I think, um, for a lot of people is that um, the vaccine efficacy doesn't just mean whether or not you get sick. The vaccine effectiveness is it's really its ability to prevent you from getting really sick, mm -hmm. meaning from going to the hospital or dying. And so even though we are seeing some more breakthrough infections and we're seeing that the risk of having maybe a mild flu-like illness or getting sick at home um, is increased with a Delta variant. We are seeing that even with a Delta variant and the newer studies of cases over the summer, that the efficacy of the vaccine in preventing p persons who are vaccinated from getting hospitalized or from dying is holding high. For example, in the Pfizer and the Moderna, still around 95%. So they are effective and they really are doing what they were designed to do. Um, in regards to the vaccine hesitancy, we see that many, many times in clinics uh, you know, because I bring up uh, vaccination with each patient that I meet. And it's interesting uh, because you get one of two responses and persons who are not vaccinated, you either get kind of like a reluctance and a there's almost at the end of the admission that the person is not vaccinated. Uh, there's kind of an openness there. Um, and then you get other on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, you get people who are basically like flat out I'm not vaccinated. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear anything. Let's just move on. And so it's a completely different spectrum. Um, and so I kind of distinguish those between kind of, I guess, uh, people who are hesitant and people who are just completely anti-vax. Um, and we get all different reasons for the vaccine hesitancy. Um, you know, one of the things you'll hear is that it's new technology or the vaccines were, you know, produced at such a rapid speed um, from a lot of young persons who are otherwise healthy. We'll see People saying, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't foresee that I'm going to have any problems, I've never had any health issues, so why should I get this? Um, we see um, people talking about, uh, you know, my cousin or my sister or my friend who had a bad reaction to their first dose of the vaccine. And um, I think that the key here is kind of sitting down with these patients who are open to having this discussion listening to, the, to their concerns and being open-minded and non-judgmental and having a dialogue about the risks and the benefits of vaccination. Um, and then I've often seen that as a physician, when we can have that conversation, we can address patients' concerns, we are able to be effective. And I've had patients decide to then, you know, get vaccinated. Uh, when when I was learning about the different things you've been hearing about from your patients, uh, one of the things that struck me is that 
politics didn't sound like it was one of the main concerns that it wasn't, you know, we, we, I think that we view this through such a political lens right now. Of course, you're in Corktown, you're in Detroit. This is a very, uh, you know, there, the, the, there's, this is a very progressive community. Um, I would say that, uh, that's safe to say, but, uh, but, but still, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Are you hearing people coming in saying, well, I heard this on this, uh, you know, uh, right wing news source or anything like that? I mean, it sounds like the, the, the things that you're saying here are very much related to real world sort of uh, hesitancy about things that, um, that that people have seen in their families or, um, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it's coming from disinformation campaigns. I'm curious what your what your thoughts are about that, at least political disinformation campaigns. Yeah, I know. Uh, I try to stay out of politics as much as I can. And um, uh, I haven't really had any patients specifically bring up politics as a reason. Um, I've, you know, I've had uh, vaccine hesitancy from all ages, all backgrounds, um, all races. Um, so I don't think there's, you know, any one, you know, I can't, um, you know, put any one face to, you know, someone who's vaccine hesitant or anti-vax. I think it's all sorts of people. And I think a lot of times um, a lot of these decisions are really influenced by people's um, personal experiences and the experiences of those that they trust the most, the people that are in their really close circle. So that's usually their family and their friends. Um, And I think that's kind of a lot of times how that comes about. And and have you been able to get through to some patients and and convince them as you're, as you know, being their primary care physician that this is the right thing to do? Yeah, yes, I have. Um, I think it, like I said, it takes kind of sitting down and one by one going through kind of uh, reasons. So for example, when patients say that they have a friend or family member who had a bad reaction to the vaccine, you know, you ask what that reaction was, and it's often, well, you know, they felt really sick the next day, and they had a fever, and they had chills, and so it's kind of educating. That's actually a normal response. You know, we actually do expect you to feel a mild flu-like syndrome during the 24 to 48 hours after the vaccine. We do expect you to have maybe some fever and some chills and not feel great. That shows that your immune system is reacting and you're being, your immune system is being stimulated by the vaccine. So that's normal. Um, you know, when people say that they're young and they don't foresee any health problems, we kind of talk about, you know, on the one, on the one hand, um, you can never predict how any one individual is going to react to COVID. And one thing that I've seen as a young person that really makes me the most scared um, is the, uh, I've seen, we've seen many patients with these long haul COVID symptoms, you know, persons who were otherwise active, healthy in their 30s, 20s, 40s, and um, you know, got infected and still months later are not able to carry on any of the basic routines uh, that they were doing beforehand. Um, and we can never predict how that's going to happen. And oftentimes we see those long haul cases in patients who had very, very mild uh, symptoms, uh, you know, when they were first infected. Um, when people talk about the speed of the technology or the concern regarding the mRNA technology, you know, we try to educate that the, you know, the mRNA technology is not completely new. Um, it's been studied in other viruses over the last 20 years or so, in influenza, in rabies, and in Zika virus, um, and that, you know, the vaccines have been proven to be safe, and, um, you know, they're constantly being monitored by the higher authorities, by the CDC. They're constantly um, reporting any adverse effects and updating their system. You know, and we saw that with the Johnson & Johnson when there was a uh, concern and uh, they paused it and then restarted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's kind of, you know, um, trying to educate on each one of these points and address them individually uh, 
for each patient. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to the phones here. Ron in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. What would you like to say today, Ron? Um, well, I had the third shot down at the TCF Center on hmm. Friday, and and that went very well. But my question is, um, I've heard uh, conflicting information on whether there's a distinction between that third shot that I had on Friday and a booster that's said to be coming in September. Uh, are those the same thing, or is that, or is the booster going to be tweaked? specifically with regard to Delta. Yeah. Ron, this is a question that I've wondered about, too, myself, so I'm, I'm uh, really eager to hear the, the answer here. Uh, Dr. McGeorge or Dr. Rabot, uh, are you able to uh, clarify for Ron on that one? Yeah, it's actually the same vaccine. Um, so the, the, the criteria for the vaccine right now, or a third shot right now, is that you have some immune compromised condition. Um, ultimately, that is essentially a booster, but it's it's more than a booster. It's really a supplement to your original vaccine because the concern among immunocompromised people is that the original two vaccine doses may not have been enough to properly um, increase your immunity. Uh, for the general population, a quote booster, that is a third dose, would be extending your immunity or expanding your immunity beyond the eight-month efficacy period that we believe is the highest efficacy period. But in fact, it is the exact same formulation. There's there's nothing that's been changed at this point. Going forward into the future, it is possible that they will modify the vaccine to be more specific to Delta or to some of the other variants that are also um, emerging on the horizon. All right. Thank you very much for that call. I really appreciate that. Uh, right now, I want to go to Paul in Beverly Hills. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, Paul, I'm running low on time, but I wanted to get you in here. What, what do you, would you like to say today? Oh, I just want to state, you know, I'm, I'm a husband, father. I have three kids. Um, I got vaccinated. Um, kids are returned to school in masks. And I encourage everybody, just let's get on board. Like, if it takes, I don't care if I have to wear a mask for a couple of years, frankly. We, mm-hmm. I've got three kids, 11 and under. They can't be vaccinated yet. You know, and we don't want to live in a world where we're afraid of some other variant, you know, breaking through to affect children in, you know, in a catastrophic way. I think, I mean, I, I got the vaccine as soon as I could. Um, I'll get any booster that's available. Um, I want to everybody think about the long game here. Like, let's get to the end. Let's get to the finish line. Mm, Paul, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for that call. And thank you for listening, of course. Uh, And I also want to get Steve in Huntington Woods in here. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. My question is, it's coming up on the seasonal flu season. And how does this, the vaccine that I would normally get, the flu shot, Mm. tie in with this September booster? Yeah, good question, Steve. Uh, Dr. Rabot, uh, can you um, help Steve uh, kind of uh, figure that out? Yeah, so, um, you know, the timing of these two, like the flu vaccine and the booster shot, will be, you know, kind of within the same probably one or two months. We would uh, recommend that everyone get both the flu vaccine and the uh, booster shot because um, their, their efficacy is against different things. So, you know, the booster shot for the COVID vaccine uh, is going to help to prevent coronavirus infections or breakthrough infections, whereas the flu vaccine is going to help to prevent uh, uh, flu infections in patients. Mm. And so both um, would be indicated um, to treat two different viral infections. 
um, having both at the same time would decrease your risk of having one or both of those illnesses and um, would be really important in terms of maintaining your health this fall and this winter. Yeah, and I I think the question is, uh, you know, when we got our first doses of the COVID uh, vaccines, they were in sort of special clinics, Uh, you know, they were for a specific shot. I think the question that I have, too, along with Steve, is will we be able to get them at the same time? Like, will where we get our seasonal flu shot, will they have the COVID vaccine available or vice versa? Is there any uh, indication as to whether that'll be true, uh, Dr. McGeorge? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, we're expanding the availability overall. And in fact, even in our emergency department, we have the ability to uh, to provide vaccines for people um, who, you know, show up to the emergency department unvaccinated for another reason. So, yes, I mean, you know, it's it's just a matter of time before we expand the network even further beyond the emergency uses that we were um, that we were doing early on in the season. And, and just on that point, uh, a piece of news that we should make sure we say and during this conversation, the FDA, uh, we're hearing, could grant full approval to the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, COVID-19 vaccine today, uh, two officials are saying now, according to CNN. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if that has an effect on uh, the availability and also the hesitation as well. We've heard some people say that, uh, that, that part of the reason they're not ready to do this is because it doesn't have this full FDA approval. Um, uh, just to end here, only got about a minute, but uh, Dr. Rabot and Dr. McGeorge, um, you know, are you hopeful that uh, this FDA full approval might uh, move the needle a little bit? We can start with you, Dr. Rabot. Yes, you know, I am hopeful. I think that um, might help that uh, fraction of kind of vaccine hesitant who really have been questioning, um, I think, more so uh, the technology and the pace of the vaccine production. And so I think having that full FDA approval might give them kind of some peace of mind um, in regards to the safety and the efficacy of the vaccines. Uh, So, yes, I think that will be helpful. Yeah. Dr. McGeorge, you've got the last word here. Yeah, I expect that it's going to get a lot of fence sitters off the fence. But, you know, keep in mind that, um, you know, this is one of the vaccines that is going to be approved in the short term, potentially. We really need to get even more vaccine out there mm-hmm. and we need more people to take it. Dr. Frank McGeorge is emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System and good health medical expert for WDIV Local 4. And Dr. Leslie Rabot is family physician at Plum Health Direct Primary Care in Corktown. Thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank take you. care. Coming up, we'll continue this conversation and, and we'll take your calls and we'll talk about the psychology of not being vaccinated at this point. We'll talk with University of Michigan psychologist David Dunning about this and how best to talk with someone in your life about getting the shot if they're hesitant or resistant.